0: Heavenly Father, thank you for this letter from Peter. Thank you for inspiring him to write it. Thank you that we have time now to think it through together. And pray, Father, that as we do that, you would open our hearts and minds to hear you speak to us, especially to see your son Jesus and to become more like him. In his name we pray. Amen. So, uh, just lately, I've uh, been doing a bit of reading. Uh, Particularly, I've been reading uh, Carl Truman's latest book, Strange New World. Uh, It's an interesting read because it tells a story, the long story of how Western civilization has changed so much over the last 200 years, especially the thinking on sexuality and gender. So 200 years ago, right, your primary identity was actually defined by things outside of you. It was given to you uh, by who your family is, by your role in the village, by your nation, by your church. Over time though, through uh, different philosophers, cultural movements, technological innovations, your identity, who you are, is now seen as something that each of us needs to find deep within ourselves. And it's believed that the most important thing in life is giving authentic expression to that true inner self, especially in terms of sex and gender. The problem for Christians is we still hold to the Bible, including the teachings of Jesus like God made sex for man-woman marriage. And so to the people around us, that actually makes us seem dangerous, even oppressive. Uh, We're seen as haters who who just want to stop others authentically expressing their true inner self in the most important areas of life, sex and gender. That's actually how Christians are perceived now in this strange new world. Does that resonate with you? If you follow Jesus, does the world around you feel strange? Truman writes... The world in which we now live is hostile to expression of our beliefs. The era when Christians could disagree with the broader convictions of the secular world and yet still find themselves respected as decent members of society at large, is coming to an end. The truth is that many of us are even now living as strangers in a strange new world. Which of course has practical consequences. Uh, The revolution in selfhood is set to exert pressure on the lives of all of us from kindergarten education to workplace policies on pronouns and this means that for all of us the questions of how we should live and what we should do when facing pressure to conform are gaining urgency. Are they questions for you? Do you wonder how you should live in this strange new world? What you should do when facing pressure to conform? There might be a new feeling for modern Western Christians facing suspicion, hostility, accusation from our society. But for the early Christians Peter was writing to, from the start, that's actually all they ever knew Their pagan neighbours viewed them with suspicion and hostility. You see, at the time, society was actually bound together through pagan festivals, feasts, rituals, made people feel connected, feel like they could trust each other, and Christians wouldn't join in. They rejected these rituals for for the idolatry and sexual immorality, So Christians were actually deemed a dangerous threat to society, especially when they refused to worship the Roman emperor as a god. Then they really did look like they were trying to rebel. The Great Fire of Rome, 64 AD, burns for nine days. Two thirds of the city is destroyed. People start to blame the Emperor Nero, so Nero shifts the blame onto who? Onto Christians, which is easy since Christians were loathed for their vices. Burning down the capital, yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing those filthy Christians would do, isn't it? Early Christians face cultural hostility actually far greater than we do. And Peter writes to them here to say, "Okay, this is how you respond. If you're wondering what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus despite cultural pressure, right here in 1 Peter 2, he actually tells you what to do. If you look at the structure of the passage, Peter Peter gives uh, three principles to follow, Uh, then how those principles play out under two different kinds of power, governments and bosses, and finally, the, the one person who's the paradigm we're meant to follow here. Unlike Peter, I'm actually not gonna hold it back to the end like it's a big surprise. Spoiler alert, the one person we're meant to follow here It's Jesus. So, what we're going to do is just work through each principle in verses 11 and 12. We'll see how each principle works out in practice. And especially how we see that principle most clearly in what Jesus has already done for us. First principle is... Remember, we're strangers and exiles in this world. If you follow Jesus, you can't think of yourself as a citizen of Rome or Australia or anywhere else, so much as you are a citizen of heaven. That's where you really belong, with Jesus, your real Lord. So Roman society might say, come join our pagan rituals so you'll fit in. Australian society might say, adopt our attitude to sex so you'll fit in. But remember, Christians aren't meant to fit in. We're meant to be strangers and exiles in this world. Notice verse 12 there. Peter doesn't say if they slander you as evildoers he says when if you follow jesus expect to never fit in yet some christians today do respond to cultural pressure by conforming uh, just back in november i talked about the furor over melbourne church sitting on a hill Uh, When interviewed about it, senior pastor Guy Mason restates the Bible's view that God made sex for man-woman marriage. To which the interviewer Koshi says, it's time to move on, like so many churches have. Some churches have moved on from the Bible's view of sex and gender. to, To keep up with the times, to be progressive. But let me ask you, is that the point of following Jesus? You could say it's actually not progressive to adopt the values of our society. You could say it's actually regressive. In most cases, it's falling back to the sinful desires Jesus is meant to be saving us from. So just how different to our society are followers of Jesus meant to be? As different as Jesus himself. The night before he died, Jesus prayed for his followers saying, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus himself was crucified. That's how much he didn't fit in this world. If we follow Jesus, we won't fit in this world either. When facing pressure to conform with the world, remember, followers of Jesus are meant to not fit in, just like Jesus himself. Remember, we're strangers and exiles. But, the second principle is, We actually can't do the exact opposite of conforming. We actually mustn't fight back. Now, a lot of Christians think we should actually, that we should engage in a culture war, a war of words, a battle of laws, uh, returning accusation for accusation, uh, meme for meme, law change for law change. But notice, that is so not what Peter says here at all. Instead, he says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, among those who don't believe, among those who slander us as evildoers, don't fight back, don't engage in a culture war. But simply act honorably among them so that they will see how wrong they are to accuse us. Actions speak louder than words. Love is actually our best defence. Peter says the same again, verse 15. Our defence that God wants us to make is doing good. Verse 13 to 17, you see there in your Bibles, he he applies that to worldly authorities, governments, institutions. As much as possible, we should do what they say and recognise as good. And you might say, but why? Aren't we meant to be strangers and exiles in this world? Why should we listen to this world's authority? Well, Peter actually says you are free from worldly authority. You, you don't belong to them, you belong to God. But precisely because you belong to God, and it's God who put in place all the world's authorities, good and bad, then as much as possible submit to what they say. If what they say can fit with uh, loving your Christian brothers and sisters, if it can fit with fearing God, submit to whatever they say. Honour the Roman emperor, even a rotten emperor like Nero, even the governments that we Aussies love to hate because the best defence against false accusations is honourable conduct. I saw this uh, in action when I started with uh, Village Mosaic a couple of years ago. That's the social support arm of our church. Early on, I remember uh, meeting a guy, we'll call him Aaron. Mosaic was helping Aaron with food and finding a place to live. And, And I remember Aaron explains to me Um, how he's actually escaping a domestic violence situation. His partner put him in hospital, so he can't go back to live with him. I remember Aaron says to me, he says, actually, I was a bit worried coming to a church for help. I didn't know whether you'd help someone like me. And before I can say anything, he says, turns out I didn't need to worry. See, Aaron started with the assumption common in our culture now that Christians are homophobic, that we hate gay people. Terribly some Christians have done that. So it's tempting to try and say and explain, well, well, calling an action sin doesn't mean we hate the the people who do that sin. We're all sinners. It's tempting to explain, hey, when Christians have hated, they are not acting as Christians when they do that. But the point is, in this case, we didn't need to say anything. The fact that we as a church love and care for all kinds of people, straight, gay, trans, everyone, speaks so much louder than anything we could say with words. Not that Peter's against words. It's just that right action comes first. When Peter continues his discussion in in chapter three, you can see on the screen, he says, uh, keep acting rightly even through unjust suffering. And what that'll do is that'll prompt people to ask you, hey, why do you do that? What do you hope to gain by returning love for hate, good for evil? At that point, do be ready to tell people about Jesus. Acting like Jesus doesn't replace speaking about Jesus. It prepares for speaking about Jesus. Even then, Peter says, yet do this speaking with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. So even when your actions finally earn you the chance to talk, you can't talk badly of those who treat you badly. You still need to show gentleness and respect. If that seems way too hard, and it often does to me. It often feels like it would be much easier to fight fire with fire. We need to remember that's what Jesus did for us. First 23, when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Jesus suffered more deeply and more unjustly than any of us ever will. And he did it without fighting fire with fire. Remember that's how Jesus saved you and it can help you do similar for others. Which leads us to the third and final principle. We actually do need to be seen out and among those who don't yet know Jesus, so that they can know Jesus. Now, some Christians actually think the best response to cultural pressure is to withdraw from the culture. Some do that by by setting up uh, things like exclusively Christian schools, hospitals, universities, businesses, where not just the staff have to be Christian, but also the students, patients, clients, like just just no unbelievers anywhere. That can feel safer away from from all this this clashing of values we have in our culture. But Peter's third principle is we have to live among the Gentiles, among the pagans, among those who don't yet know Jesus. We can't withdraw, why not? because our lives are meant to draw people into Jesus. You think you have problems living as a Christian in a strange new world? Do you realize the ones who attack you actually have a far, far greater problem? One day, God is going to visit judgment on this whole world. And these people need to turn from slandering God's people to glorifying God themselves. They need to turn while there's still time for them to turn. And the key driver for them turning is seeing how we live among them in close relationship with them, not separated from them. At the very same time, Jesus prayed for his followers, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He also said to his Father in heaven, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world not of the world, but sent into it. Jesus was sent into the world so that through his unjust suffering he might save the world. We are sent into the world actually for the same purpose. The unjust suffering of Jesus is how he took the punishment we deserve for our sins in his death on the cross so that we'd be forgiven, so that we'd be given new life with him. Our unjust suffering in the world, as we follow our Lord Jesus, will actually also help other people to be saved as they see our response of love and in that see Jesus which actually makes unjust suffering a privilege to be valued, not something to be avoided. See, for Christians, our true self is not what we find deep within ourselves. If we follow Jesus, our true self is that graciously given to us by Christ, the identity of Christ-likeness. Authentic self-expression for us is when we're living like Christ. And we're never more like Christ. We're never more our true selves than when we respond to unjust suffering with love for the sake of other people being saved. That's really the only way to make sense of what Peter sends to slaves. I've said before on Ephesians 5 and 6 how how slavery was this immovable reality in the ancient world. Christians were in no position to bring it to an end. They just had to work out how to face it. But that doesn't explain why Peter goes as far as he does here. He says it's actually a good thing, a gift of grace, If a Christian slave experiences unjust treatment from their master and responds well, how can he say that? It's a gift of grace because responding well to unjust suffering, that's when you're most truly in Christ's life. When we're under cultural pressure to conform, we we can't because we're strangers and exiles in this world. We can't fight back either because because our best defence is honourable conduct. And we can't withdraw because it's precisely when we suffer unjustly among those who don't yet believe that we actually draw them to salvation too, like Christ. Peter never says it'll be easy, because it really, really won't be. But our model and motivation is always what Jesus himself has already done for you and me. Just because um, rainbow issues are increasingly prominent uh, at the moment, I want to give you just uh, one example of how Village Church has tried to handle one issue that, that came up. So a while ago, Village was one of a group of organisations collaborating on a, a big community event. Village was the only Christian organisation, the rest of the organisations were, were secular. But all the organisations want to benefit the community, so it's all going smoothly, working together, till suddenly it's not. Uh, One of the organisations updates the event website with really prominent links to explanations of rainbow ideology. The rationale is that rainbow people need to feel safe and included at the event. Now, of course, Village wants safety and inclusion for everyone, including rainbow people. But our reasons for wanting it are very different to what the website now says. We want safety and inclusion for everyone, because whether we're straight, gay, trans, we're all made in God's image. We're all sinners in need of God's grace. But this website is now promoting different beliefs that we can't agree with as Christians. We explained the problem, but, but, but this other organisation won't budge. So what do we do? What would you do in that situation? In theory, we had a few options. We could just say it doesn't matter to, to try and fit in, but then we'd be conforming to the world's beliefs like we shouldn't as followers of Jesus. We could pull out of the event altogether, but that's like withdrawing from the world. Or it would damage the event, the benefits to the community and our relationship with these other organisations. It's Sam of course, who realises the best thing to do, will withdraw the name of village from the event. We can't put our name to beliefs we don't share, but we won't withdraw our help. We'll still do all the work for the event we were planning to do. Now, I've got to admit, when Sam told me that's what we're going to do, I must admit, I, I did feel a sense of injustice, actually. Not a huge one, a small one, but I, I, I felt like if we put in the work, well, like our name should be on it too. I say we, I mean, Sam and others from Village, I didn't do anything. Um, but I felt like my church, to get the credit it deserves, you know? And yet accepting injustice, if that's what it is, responding with love, it's exactly what followers of Jesus must do. The event went well, benefited lots of people in the community, rainbow and otherwise. And Village actually has a really good ongoing relationship with that, that organisation which helps us to reach more people with the message of Jesus. As strangers and exiles, conduct yourselves honourably among the Gentiles so that when they see you suffer unjustly, responding with love, they too will be drawn to Jesus before it's too late. We can actually do that for others as a reflection of what Jesus has already done for us. Let's pray that we would do that. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus into the world, though he was not of the world. He committed no sin, yet he died for our sins. By his wounds, we are healed. He was insulted, yet he returned, not insults, but love. Those of us who don't yet know your love in Jesus, I pray we would. Those of us who follow Jesus, I pray we'd really follow him, being willing to absorb insult, accusation, injustice, responding with the love of Jesus, that more and more people might know the love of Jesus while they still can, in Jesus' name, amen.